morning, everybody. It's April 16th, 2023. I'm your host, Nate Pike. We've got a show tonight. Oh, boy, we've got a show tonight. We have so very much to talk about. Uh, so we're going to get started right away because, again, as we're heading into the, the next election, we're definitely seeing that things are getting a lot more busy in Alberta politics. So right out of the gates, let's get into where sort of the week started. And we got to start by talking about this dude. This is Devin Dreeshen. He's an on again, off again, on again minister on, with the UCP government. He had himself a press conference earlier in the week where he was talking about a multilateral, let's call it, agreement that was signed. Except it wasn't so much of an agreement as it was more of just a statement of, hey, we'll continue to work together on things and stuff, okay? That's really what the whole thing whole thing was. It was the, the three people from the three provinces saying, we'll continue to work together. But what they were talking about was both a literal and an abstract thing. They were talking about economic corridors. Now, for those of you who were paying attention to Danielle Smith's leadership race, she made a big thing about economic corridors. She defined them as these literal pathways that we're going to take. We're going to get around the, the the requirements of the federal government for major infrastructure projects, and we're going to just define these pathways. We're going to do it with the help of First Nations, by the way, and that's how we're gonna we're gonna get all this this stuff built. But what was announced at the press conference was much more of an abstract kind of idea, where they just kind of said, "Yes, infrastructure is good. We will continue to consult each other on infrastructure." But unsurprisingly, the uh, the press conference took a little bit of a turn. In November of 2021, uh, you had released a statement when you resigned from cabinet saying that uh, your use of alcohol had become a bit of a distraction for, uh, for the government of the day. And you said that you were taking time to take care of your health and wellness. What steps have you taken since then to address your use of alcohol between now and being reappointed to cabinet and um how would you say your use of alcohol has changed in that time that's well, a very interesting cbc question um but i uh, there's a lot of work going on into this uh, mou that we're happy to announce with saskatchewan manitoba i'm personally fine and i do appreciate that janet for uh, for the personal question but no today is is a historic day for the province of alberta So are we Thank to you. infer? Thank you for that personal question. Are we to infer that you have not changed your use of alcohol in that time frame? <laughs> it's so to me. I always thought media and news would actually report news rather than just promote a narrative. But you can continue on on this narrative. Well, it is like possible for us to be interested in trade corridors and your personal conduct at the same time. Oh, <laughs> I. Thank you for that personal question. Okay, and uh, we will now move on to questions on the line. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? So now it's really easy to take a look at that whole situation and go, ah, you know, if, if the guy had a couple too many drinks and it was, you know, he, he took a step back when he needed to, why is it anybody's business? Well, what you heard the reporter bringing up in her question there was very accurate. It wasn't just a, a one little thing. It was, by most reports, 
a significant chronic problem. How significant was it? It was so significant that there was actually a lawsuit that was filed against the premier's office because of the behavior that Mr. Drieschen allegedly engaged in when he was having too many, too many drinks and was becoming too intoxicated at work. This is where, for those of you who really play the in, inside baseball Alberta politics stuff, this is where the whole shields up thing comes from because allegedly it was fairly regular that if there was going to be a night of drinking in the office that's where uh they would say to their assistants in particular mr drieschen allegedly would say to his assistant you know what shields up make sure nobody comes into the office we're, we're getting our liquor on um so that was not a small deal and it was a big enough deal in fact that uh that lawsuit went ahead. Now, apparently, allegedly, it's been uh, settled. But I want to read a, a little section from a CBC story on it because uh, it, it spells it out really quite well. The statement of claim says in mid-October 2020, Kimmel found Agriculture and Forestry Minister Devin Dreeshen drinking with the chief of staff in his office. They later met up in another minister's office where the ministers and staff in attendance appeared to be heavily intoxicated. So this isn't just Devin. This is like a whole thing going on here. Um... Kimmel said her statement said that during the gathering, she expressed concern about how drunk Dreeshen was and encouraged him to stop drinking. After they left the suite, the lawsuit alleges the minister confronted her about the intervention and aggressively yelled at her to the point where she was in tears and a concerned bystander intervened. So this isn't just a couple of drinks after work. This was drinking that was happening inside of legislative op offices allegedly to the point where this is what the lawsuit was over now mr dreeshen was uh he resigned after there was a, a picture that made the 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 rounds after this lawsuit circulated there was a picture that made the rounds where mr dreeshen was having a meeting and his laptop was sitting on top of a cooler and there were multiple bottles of alcohol in the background which was, some people say, either just a giant middle finger and trolling or indicative of how out of control the, the situation was. He's never issued a statement that clarifies what his intent was with sharing that little picture out on social media. But it gets kind of relevant still. Because just a little while ago, we saw a constituency association uh, meeting. This was one of the constituency associations that's allegedly been taken over by Take Back Alberta, where Danielle Smith uh, attended and they were handing out giant bottles of liquor. Which is an interesting choice, let's say, for a minister who is allegedly doing his very, very best to to be sober. It's a it's a little a little questionable to to say the least. Um, but that's where we are. So uh, right out of the gates, we had a little bit of an adversarial week kicking things off with uh, with the UCP and the media. Now, we got a couple other stories that we want to talk about before we get into the big stuff tonight. One of them is significant and it didn't get a whole lot of play for some reason. What this story is that we want to talk about is the Onion Lake Cree Nation sued, filed legal papers this week, against the Saskatchewan government for the Saskatchewan First Act. Now, the Saskatchewan First Act is basically the Saskatchewan equivalent of the Alberta sovereignty in a united Canada, I 
think I'm getting it right. They changed the name so many times. Um, the United, the, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, the one that Daniel Smith campaigned on and then absolutely couldn't deliver because she had to water it down because it turns out that all of the concerns that it was unconstitutional proved to be that it was unconstitutional. Now, it's important to highlight that this isn't actually the first time that the Onion Lake Cree Nation has filed these papers because they also filed papers against the provincial government of Alberta for that Alberta Sovereignty Within the United Canada Act Act a while back. Now, a lot of people are kind of wondering, well, how can it possibly be that they're suing in, in two provinces? And it's really easy if you know just a little bit about the history of the provinces. And we have a little bit of a visual aid that we want to bring to the table tonight because it's this little guy right here. Not only does this highlight uh, exactly why we see this, this branching off, because if you look in the very middle there, you can see the Treaty 6 Treaty, which is kind of the big band that goes all the way across Alberta and Saskatchewan there. Now you might be wondering, how is it possible that this treaty could go across two provinces? That, that doesn't make any sense. And it's actually really simple. The treaties predate the formation of the provinces. This is one of the reasons why the Onion Lake Cree Nation, as well as a bunch of other First Nations have said, hey, this sovereignty stuff that you're, you're trying to throw down, it's, uh, it's not cool with us because as much as you think you're a big deal province and everything, the reality is our deal isn't with you as a province. Our deal is with the federal government and the crown. So if you think that you as a provincial government can come in and start telling us, here's what's going to happen, we're not down for that. And this is a very significant event because there's a lot of first nations that have showed up to say hey you know what we totally agree it was quite the press conference uh we totally agree that the the provinces trying to assert their their sovereignty and their independence and and all of that they're not actually allowed to do that on treaty land and one thing that's really important to highlight we've talked about this before on the show we talked about it with uh when we had david collin on and we were talking about the whole question of wexit if you take a look at where those treaties lie on the map, particularly Alberta. There's not a square inch of Alberta that isn't covered by treaty. This is really important to understand because one of the things that a lot of people don't seem to be able to wrap their heads around is that in the province of Alberta, regardless of where you live, you're a treaty person. Period. And we don't have enough conversations about how those treaties supersede the formation of the provinces. And we probably should, because there's a whole lot that we have to figure out and unpack when it comes to the relationship between Indigenous peoples, First Nations, Métis folks, and the Crown, and the provinces. It's really, really complicated. But we still have to start having that conversation in a sincere way, not a disingenuous way. Wink, wink, foreshadowing for just a couple of minutes from now but moving on through the week we had us a, a press conference danielle smith not as premier of alberta but rather as the leader of the ucp she decided that she was going to hold a, a press conference it's not a government press conference it's a party press conference it's an important distinction to make because Daniel Smith is leader of the UCP. She can have a press conference about whatever she wants. She can say whatever she wants. She can make the rules for whatever she wants. That's fine. That's a big difference 
than Daniel Smith is premier. When she's acting as the premier of Alberta, she has some rules that she has to follow. But we got the picture. The picture that's probably going to define this election and likely going to define, regardless of the fact that the UCP changed leaders midway through, the, the picture that's likely going to define the, the UCP's reign. It's going to be a tie, I think, between this one and the Sky Palace. But this is what the picture is. This is a healthcare worker who uh, is ex- appears to be expressing her uh, thoughts on Danielle Smith's and the UCP's policies on uh, on the healthcare stuffs. Now, there are some people who said, oh, you know what? Maybe she's just standing that way. Sometimes, you know, when I'm standing, a finger slips out. What are you going to do? Well, uh, as was made public pretty quickly, that wasn't the only picture. There were several other pictures that were taken uh, that clearly show that despite the fact that she changed positions a couple of times, uh, she still had the, the same gesture going on there. But let's get to what the press conference was was about. Danielle Smith wanted to make it clear where she stood when it comes to health care. Premier at Safe Kaiser Global News. I'm wondering, how do you expect Albertans to be confident in a Danielle Smith-led UCP health care system when you made comments last year regarding stage four cancer that were false, and now you've got more candidates making more false claims, uh, and you've got people saying some questionable things around healthcare, like uh, Petrovic, who last month, or sorry, two months ago, was saying, well, if you get a heart attack, maybe you need to manage your obesity or your diabetes or your congestive heart failure a little better. Well, I'm pleased to see that the candidate you mentioned issued a statement yesterday clarifying that she could have used better language. Uh, I think we all need to make sure that Albertans have access to high-quality, accessible, publicly funded health care, and that's why we're here today. If people have access to uh, good doctors who can help them manage their conditions, it's going to make sure that they uh, maintain the best health possible, and that's why we have our public health care guarantee. To use better language, Premier, numerous times you've said something, you've walked back saying you were taken out of context. That's what Petrovic did yesterday. She Mm -hmm. said she was taken out of context. Tory Tanner, Lethbridge West, had to step down because after claiming that kindergarten teachers were showing kids porn, she said she was taken out of context. Ironically, with Petrovic talking about personal responsibility, when's the UCP going to take personal responsibility for what they say rather than claim they were taken out of context? Well, I think the two candidates in question did take responsibility. One offered her resignation, and I accepted it, and the other issued a clarification on her statement, and I accept that as well. So, let's be clear. Daniel Smith respond to questions about whether... Daniel Smith was there to talk about the fact that the UCP was 100% committed to uh, publicly funded health care. Nobody was ever going to have to pay for a doctor. Nobody's ever going to have to pay for surgery. That's all going to be publicly funded, publicly accessible. She, she made that commitment. Never mind the, the problematic comments. Um, and I just got to take quick exception. We're going to come back to Chelsea in a couple of minutes here, but I got to take quick exception to Daniel Smith's characterization of she issued a clarifying statement uh, because it's worth remembering that Chelsea said before she said her problematic things about people who have heart attacks, this is probably going to be political suicide. 
So if you say, hey, I'm going to run into this building here, and then you run into the building, and then somebody says, hey, you shouldn't have run into the building. Oh, I never meant to run into the building. You literally said that was your intent. Literally prefaced your comments with that. So it's a little, little bit disingenuous at best. But, you know, Daniel Smith said, you know, we got this with this healthcare thing. We, we got to be very, very clear. The, they've talked about the, the positions and the policies and the things and the stuff. Let's just, uh, we're going to jump ahead in time a little bit to Daniel Smith's radio show, The Last Your Province, Your Premier, before the election, by the way, uh, yesterday. Respond to questions about whether Albertans can trust what you say. Just two days ago, one of my real estate clients asked that very question because of statements you made before you won the UCP leadership compared to your position now. And a key example, of course, is the recent public health care guarantee uh, that was announced this week. And that contradicts your pre-UCP position in which you did call for a user pay system. So what changed? I can I can tell you the way political parties work. I know people think that a leader gets to just race out there and make policy on the fly and everything she says becomes an edict. I know that pe that's people's perceptions. That's not how I work. The way I work is I respect our party process of passing policy. One of the first things I did when we were trying to figure out what our mandate should be is I looked at our member pass policy. I asked my caucus colleagues what they wanted to run on and I asked my cabinet colleagues what their priorities were. It's a very grassroots process and i can tell you there is not a single ucp cabinet member caucus member or member that i have talked to that says that they want to make people pay for a family doctor not a single one we will not be asking people to pay for a family doctor full stop we will not be asking people to pay out of pocket for surgical services okay so let's take a step back here because once again danielle smith is using words and she's making those words fit together in such a way that it almost sounds like she might know what she's talking about. But let's take a quick moment of reflection for the UCP actual policy. What does the UCP actual policy say? Well, they actually came out and said that they support publicly funded, privately delivered health care services where cost effective. And they believe that they should give Albertans the choice of privately funded, privately delivered health services to address excessive wait times and make the publicly funded system more accountable. Now, that's not the only place where they talk about the fact that they want to have uh, privately delivered, privately funded health care in the province of Alberta. Just a little bit later down, they say they support publicly funded, privately delivered health services and to give the Albertans, Albertans the choice of privately funded, privately delivered health services where consistent with the Canadian Health Act. So they're saying in no uncertain terms in their policies that they want to see the introduction of more private health care in the province of Alberta. And as we've seen already with the charter facilities that exist for surgeries, those are pulling staff away from the public surgeries, which is having an increased effect on the people who aren't eligible because of risk factors to go to the charter facilities. Make no mistake, the creation of charter facilities and expanding private health care pulls people away from the public system, whether by their own choice or whether mandated as we're seeing through the charter facilities. This is just the reality. Everybody and their dog is talking about the fact that uh, the there is a shortage of health care workers, not just in the province of Alberta right now, but across the country. 
And so expanding a private system isn't going to do anything to make more workers suddenly materialize. What it will do is it will pull healthcare workers away from the public system. It will degrade the public system. Now, Daniel Smith has tried to distance herself from her stated goals when she ran for the leadership of the UCP and her stated policy papers that she's written. We talked about that last episode where she did write a policy paper back in 2021, I believe it was, where she said, you know what we need to do? We need to make people pay for more health care. And the best way we can do that is by getting these uh, health spending accounts started up. But, you know, if only Danielle Smith had the opportunity to answer in effect, uh, a straightforward yes or no question. Do you still support the idea of user fees? If only somebody had presented her with that opportunity, I don't know, yesterday. Goes on to say, I don't believe a leopard changes its spots, so let me ask you directly, do you now categorically reject what you wrote in that paper, yes or no? Please do not provide a smoke and mirrors type of answer. Three things that I wrote in that paper. Number one, we needed to become debt-free, and we're on a path to become debt-free. Number two, we needed to shore up our savings, and we are keeping the uh, Heritage Savings Trust Fund uh, uh, investment income so that we can shore up savings. Number three, I said that we needed to um, to develop health spending accounts to deal with all of the things that are currently not covered by health care. That's the key, is when you go to a family doctor, we, the, the doctor will bill the province directly and you will not pay. When you go get a knee surgery, the, prov the province will be billed directly. You will not pay. But we want to create a mechanism for the things that you are currently paying 100% out of pocket for to give you a little bit of, of, uh, of a head start with some dollars so that you can defray the cost of those. So that's the, that's the, that, those are the things that I've run by my caucus, by my cabinet, and that, those are the things that we're developing. So let's be clear. Nowhere in there did you hear the words yes or no. She was explicitly asked, hey, have you changed your position? Are you going to do anything different? And her response was, I'll use some words now. I'll list off a bunch of things that weren't related to the question. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. But that was just the beginning of the, of the press conference. There was a lot of other things that happened in this press conference, including the, the fact that it turns out Danielle Smith is under investigation by the Ethics Commissioner. Hi, uh, Miriam with CTV. I'm just following up on the first question regarding the investigation. Um, why are you refusing to answer questions regarding the investigation, but openly talking about it on your radio show? Are you going against legal advice? The, um, uh, look, the advice that I have been given is that we've got to let the Ethics Commissioner process play out. I respect the role that she has, and I'm fully cooperating with her. But are you going against it by talking it on your radio show, but not to media? I'm, uh, I've, the advice I've been given is to uh, observe the process. I'm fully cooperating with the ethics commissioner, and I, I welcome her, her examination of this, and we'll make sure, um, I'll, I'll let her do her work. Um, and, and when oh, did you that first was hear, it was just one more question, um, when did you first hear about the investigation from the uh, ethics commissioner? Uh, as uh, you can, uh, I'm sure you can consult with her office, I'm sure she would be happy to let you know, but um, as I said, I'm going to just observe the process and let her do her work and fully cooperate. Now this gives us yet another example of either Danielle Smith is woefully ignorant of how the things work, or she's deliberately lying in order to try to get away from the question. Now there's a lot of stuff with the ethics commissioner that we need to take a second to unpack. First of all, as a lot of uh, commentators and political experts have already opined, uh, 
everybody's kind of going, why, why the hell is the ethics commissioner involved? Because as much as Alberta does have an ethics commissioner, and that gives the perception that the ethics commissioner would deal with ethical behavior, it's not really true. The ethics commissioner can only deal with things that exist in the Conflict of Interest Act, the Ethics Act. That's the only, and it's a very, very narrow scope that the, the ethics commissioner has. This is one of the reasons why it's very strange that anybody would push for Daniel Smith to have to have a conversation with the ethics commissioner instead of as an independent investigator. When we take a look at the Casey Medu situation that unfolded when Casey Medu called the chief of police because he didn't like his speeding ticket, um, that was an investigation that was done by an independent investigator. That independent investigator investigated the whole thing. But the very first question that the ethics commissioner has to figure out is, is this even in my, my sandbox? An independent investigator, like the one that was used when Casey Medu tried to, well, when he did call the chief of police about his traffic ticket, uh, that independent investigator was able to take a step back, take a look at the entire situation, do a complete, robust investigation that actually happened in a pretty timely fashion and say, you know what? Yeah, he did try to interfere in the administration of justice. Yes, there was a public perception that he tried to interfere in the administration of justice. He just wasn't successful. That's not what the ethics commissioner does. The ethics commissioner does up her little report and then she kicks it over to the Speaker of the House and then he decides what's going to happen. That Speaker of the House, of course, being Nathan Cooper, currently UCP MLA. So that's cool. Also worth noting that the ethics commissioner investigations typically take quite a chunk of time. We're talking months here and we're facing down the barrel of an election in the province of Alberta in just over a month. Theoretically, we're like a week and a half away from the writ conceivably being dropped. So the odds that the ethics commissioner will have this investigation completed, if she even does an investigation that does find that Daniel Smith, the behaviors that we're talking about with the Arthur Pulaski call, fit into the scope of that act, it, none of those things are going to happen before the election. If anything's going to happen, the ethics commissioner is going to come back and say, yeah, this isn't in my sandbox. And Daniel Smith will then do exactly what she did with her email investigation and say, look, I've been cleared. So there's there's that fun little bit about the the ethics commissioner. But there's still more to this this press conference, because a question came up that had to do with uh, a comment that was made by a federal minister. So First Nations say that the Natural Resource Transfer Agreement violates their treaty rights and is an illegal document that they were never consulted on. So why are you concerned with the federal justice minister saying that he'll look into it if it's something that a First Nation or First Nations is asking, are asking him to do? Well, first of all, the Justice Minister's comments were irresponsible and outrageous. The Natural Resources Transfer Act in 1930 simply gave the Western provinces the same right to develop and control their resources that other provinces in the country already had. It's been enshrined in our Constitution under Section 92 and 92A, and it is outrageous for the federal government to imply that they would take away provincial jurisdiction and provincial rights. We are working in partnership with our First Nations communities to develop resources 
businesses and look at ways in which we can bring them in as equity partners. We've supported different investments through the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation. We continue to encourage businesses to seek an equity partner when Trans Mountain is complete. I know that there's going to be a, uh, an opportunity for a First Nations consortium to buy into that so that they have a long-term revenue stream. We think that that is the pathway to economic reconciliation, but acting as if we can tear up the Constitution, that was irresponsible. And the Justice Minister should uh, apologize for his comments. The Prime Minister should apologize on behalf of his Justice Minister. But the Minister is saying that he didn't commit to any kind of review. And as a representative of the Crown, hearing these concerns from First Nations, is, I mean, what do you think he should have done then? The responsible thing to have done would have been to say that the Natural Resources Transfer Act simply gave the Western provinces the same right as every other province in Canada, and that we would be looking forward on economic reconciliation to include First Nations in more, in more projects. But uh, to act as if the federal government can tear up the Natural Resources uh, Agreement from 1930 and act as if they can just unilaterally tear up the Constitution, that's not on. It's not on. Danielle Smith won't have it. You can't just show up and say that you're going to take away somebody's rights to their land. You can't just do that. That's not on. You you can't just unilaterally take away a, a, a population's rights to access their their land. You can't you can't do that. Hey, before we go too far into this, let's just go back real quick and take a look at that map again. That's a map of Canada as we know it. But here's the thing that you got to do. You got to look at BC. Because here's the thing about BC. All those areas that aren't colored with the, the fun colors and the numbers and the dates and everything, any area that doesn't have that isn't treaty land. There aren't treaties where the people who occupied those lands said, yeah, you know what? We, we're we're going to share. It's cool. There's no treaties that govern those areas that say those things. And the United Nations has quite clearly come out and said, those are unceded territories. Now, what that means is those are territories that are at a very strange legal place because they're technically within the borders of Canada, but they're also technically never been given over to Canada. It's really, really complicated. But nonetheless, despite the fact that that land has never been, and the, the, the people who own that land, Owned is probably the wrong word for a lot of reasons, but the people who were caretakers of that land, I suppose, the people who were in charge of that land, uh, they never said, yeah, you we'll share it with Canada now. So it's pretty wild that Daniel Smith would be saying, oh, you can't just you can't just come in and take someone's land or their rights to the land. You can't you can't do that. I got these pipelines I want to get built through these unceded territories. It's really uncomfortable. But. There's some other pieces that are really important to, to take into context with this whole thing. And it starts with the fact that the way that Daniel Smith represented things wasn't entirely true. When we take a look at what was actually said by the justice minister in question here, uh, David Lametti, what he said was he agreed that he would take a look at it. Almost like 
Danielle Smith saying that she would take a look into things for Arthur Pulowski. I'm just making connections here. But uh, David Lametti actually released a statement where he was very, very clear. I'm the minister responsible for the implementation of the United Nations Declarations Act into federal laws and policies. Last week, I met with First Nations leaders to discuss its implementation as part of a session on the AFNSCA that was focused exclusively on the UNDA or the United Nations Declaration Act. Amongst the many questions I was asked, the Natural Resource Transfer Act was raised by First Nations chiefs on a couple of occasions as part of my job to listen to those concerns. To be clear, at no point did I commit our government to reviewing areas of provincial jurisdiction, including over natural areas. The focus over our government's work is to co-develop an action plan with Indigenous partners that will show the path we must take forward towards aligning federal laws and policies with UNDRIP or UNDRIP. Now, that in and of itself makes it pretty clear he never said that he was going to make major changes to how the the provinces work but there's some history that's important to take into context here as well so the natural resource transfer act was passed in a period of canadian history where it was actually not legal for first nations to hire lawyers to defend themselves that wasn't a thing that uh, was allowed it's also worth noting, depending on where, where we're talking about, but in the areas in particular that we're talking about, it wasn't actually First Nations people weren't able to vote until 1960. So to, to try to say, hey, you know what? We've got this government act. It's delightful. Everybody should just abide by it because provinces want their toys is a little bit disingenuous given that history. But let's go back a quick sec. Uh, just to the one of the videos that we played a little bit earlier. We're just going to take a take a piece out of it because we talked a little bit about Chelsea Petrovic. And it's worth there's been some developments that are worth worth talking about. So let's just remind ourselves who's Chelsea again. Not more candidates making more false claims. Uh, and you've got people saying some questionable things around healthcare, like uh, Petrovic, who last month or sorry, two months ago, was saying, well, if you get a heart attack, maybe you need to manage your obesity or your diabetes or your congestive heart failure a little better. So that was Chelsea Petrovic, or Petrovich, I'm not sure. She's the candidate for Livingston with an E at the end. It might even be Livingstone. I'm sure I'm going to get comments because, wow, if you spell that constituency name even just a little bit wrong, they do let you know. Livingstone McLeod. She's the UCP candidate. She's also, ironically enough, a healthcare worker. She's the one who said, this is probably political suicide, but, and then went into a rant about how people who get heart attacks should take more responsibility, more personal responsibility for the things that cause them to have heart attacks, apparently completely ignoring the fact that one of the biggest contributors to whether or not somebody has uh, a heart attack is genetics. It can be mitigated by a number of things, but at the end of the day, it's genetics is a huge component. I don't know how you take personal responsibility for that. But Chelsea had a busy little week she did. Um, first of all, she had this wonderful event that was planned and then unplanned. So the Livingston McLeod, Livingstone McLeod UCP Constituency Association, they were going to have a, a meeting. It was a, it was a dinner, cocktails, conversation, a whole bunch of good stuff with the, the conservative MP, John Barlow. He bailed. Almost as if there's some 
distancing that uh, some folks are are potentially trying to trying to do. And it seems like there might be some some decent reasons for that because when you when you take a look at the the history of of Chelsea's campaign, we talked about it on a previous episode of the show where we pointed out that Chelsea's uh, her she's got some some issues. So she's done a very, very good job of cleaning up her social media, but her husband, not quite so much. Uh, her husband had shared a bunch of stuff on social media that included um, uh, pictures of him participating in what appeared to be the Coots convoy, pictures of him sharing anti-vax conspiracy theories, and perhaps most damning pictures of him, uh, a video he shared that basically was saying, you know, everybody's giving Putin a hard time. Everybody should just kind of, kind of let up on on Putin because you know he's 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 doing his best, and the Ukraine provoked him. So there's some controversy there. Now, of course, obviously there was some fuel to the fire added with the whole uh, heart attack comment. But there's even more problems because one of the ways, the primary way it appears that Chelsea was fundraising on her old website was through Give, Send, Go. Now, Give, Send, Go is, of course, the platform of choice by the freedom fighters and the convoy convoy folk alike because GoFundMe shut them down. Give, Send, Go popped up. They had some uh, some data management problems, let's say, because the entire list of convoy donors was uh, was leaked. But that's the platform that Chelsea was doing all of her fundraising. Now, you might remember when it came to the convoy donations, there was a stunning amount that actually didn't come from Canada. Despite the fact that the convoy was ostensibly about fighting for freedom in Canada, the overwhelming majority of the donations actually came from outside of Canada. So there's no guarantees who's giving the money how. This is something that political candidates are supposed to be quite, uh, quite responsible for. But it looks like there were some other things that slipped through the crack as well, because a couple of the donations on the now-deleted Give, Send, Go from the now-deleted website include two anonymous donations. Now, anonymous donations, when it comes to political donations, are a big no-no. There's a very, very strict rule in regards to uh, how much you can donate there's very strict rules as to how those donors have to be identified. But when we're talking about anonymous donations of $1,000 and another anonymous donation of $500, that creates some, some not insignificant problems. And if we take a look at what the penalties are for unlawful contributions, the Electri- uh, Election Finances and Contributions Disclosure Act, Citizen Initiative Act, and Recall Act requires contributors to know which political part- participants they can contribute to and to keep track of their contributions throughout the year. Political participants are equally responsible for knowing who contributed, can be accepted from, and for informing contributors about the law regarding contribution limits. So for Chelsea to have accepted this $1,500 in anonymous donations represents a pretty significant problem. The biggest problem is, though, there's a period of time that's allowed between when you start your nomination race and when you have to have your financial disclosure in. Now, in a perfect world, one would expect that those numbers would be due, I don't know, before the election 
when are Chelsea's numbers due? When does she have to be accountable for that $1,500 in donations, whether or not it was accepted, sent back, whether it was spent? July 11th, 2023. But speaking of election law, we saw some big problems with elections Alberta this last week. Elections Alberta put out a campaign on social media and they actually put it out in print as well. That got them a lot of attention in a very bad way. Because what they basically said was, you must be registered in advance in order to participate in the election. They also seem to intimate that uh, you have to have photo ID. And in fact, in one of the responses to the conversation that they generated through this whole thing, they said, hey, uh, Carmen, thanks for your question. Amendments to the Election Act mean that identification is required for the 2023 provincial election. For more information on identification at the polls, please visit. Now, this popped off a lot of controversy from political scholars. We saw uh, Dr. Jared Wesley weigh in and said very clearly you do not need to be registered voter to cast your ballot you can show up on election id or with someone to vouch for you and this is an important piece because there's some people for a lot of different reasons who don't have id but if you have someone to vouch for you who meets the requirements then you still can vote and there are a lot of people who are very concerned that this uh narrative that was being put out there by elections alberta created a lot of confusion and potentially could have dissuaded some voters. Andrew Leach actually went so far as to find the uh, relevant law specifically stating what the requirements are. We've got those up on the screen here right now. And it's very clear what the, the vouching criteria looks like. The elector is accompanied by another elector whose name appears on the voting record for the same voting area. And that other elector is eligible to vouch for the elector provides their own identification to an election officer assigned to administer voting and vouches for the elector by signing a declaration. That's it. But there's quite a bit of controversy generated over, over that little thread, which brings us almost to the near apex. Because we've got a couple other things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the, the Premier's new Council on Multiculturalism and Inclusion Boy, do we have some spicy meatballs coming out of that one. But then we're also going to be joined in just a few minutes by Don Slater, who's going to talk about some concerns that the dis uh, disabled community has in regards to how they're being included in the conversation heading into the election. But before we get to Don, we got some things that we got to sort through. Now, the announcement that came that the Premier of Alberta was creating this Council on Multiculturalism and Inclusion. This was a government press conference. Very important to be clear on that. Government press conferences are designed for the business of governing. They're not supposed to be for campaigning. You right? remember in the last election, there were some very strict rules about where you can and can't campaign. Rachel Notley got herself in some hot water because she was campaigning inside of a hospital in southern Alberta. And she got in a little bit of trouble for that. So there's very strict rules about what you can and can't do, whether you're acting as the leader of the party or whether you're acting as the leader of the government. Everybody was quite surprised when this question section opened up with this statement, apparently from Danielle Smith's press secretary. 
Thanks, everybody. That concludes the formal portion of our announcement. We will take a few questions from the floor, and then I'll head to the phone lines. Just a, re a reminder that to state your name, your outlet, and journalists have the opportunity to ask one question today. And as always, and out of respect for everybody here today, I'll go to on-topic questions first. Please head to the mic if you have a question. Not one on-topic question. Now, that's a big departure. And it's a very dangerous departure because it gives the person answering the question all of the power. And unless journalists start tagging, tag teaming together, little to no accountability. Somebody could ask Daniel Smith a question about the Archer Pulowski conversation and she could reply, I really like cheese. That's her answer. There's no chance for that reporter to then come back and say, yeah, but I didn't ask you about cheese. I asked you about Archer. There's no opportunity for any sort of accountability. And it's important to realize that when Daniel Smith and her press secretary made this little rule, not only did they say at this government press conference where the media, regardless of which outlet it is, regardless of which outlet you like, the media is in many ways the people's representative to ask questions, to hold the government to account, to get the government to explain its positions and the rationale for those positions. Now, all of a sudden, in this government press conference, it's announced that, no, no, there will be only one question. And there were some people who were wondering why. Hi, it's uh, Audrey for Radio Canada. Uh, just before asking my questions, I just want to say that we've had a question and a follow-up for years, and I don't understand why we don't have a follow-up this time. Audrey, well, it's, a, it's an election. Right that's why we're sort of getting into election mode, and so we've lots of people who want to answer questions. It doesn't change questions. anything. Well, lots of people want to answer questions, so we want to make sure anything. we get to everybody. Thanks, Audrey. Go ahead, answer your ask your question. Be happy to answer it. The writ hasn't been dropped. Let's be clear. We're not in an election. While there's no question that the different political parties are absolutely doing everything they can to begin their unofficial campaigns, government is still government until the writ is dropped and the lieutenant governor dissolves the legislature. But until that point happens, government is still supposed to be doing the business of government. And for Danielle Smith to come out and say, hey, you know what? The rules for how we campaign haven't kicked in yet. The rules don't exist yet. But because we don't want to answer your questions, because we don't want to be held accountable, we're just going to start making up our own rules now and try to justify it by saying, Ah, you know what? Lots of people, they got lots of questions. We want to try to make sure everybody gets their questions answered is not only incredibly disingenuous, but it's profoundly corrosive to the, the core of democracy. We've said it many times before on the show, the, the foundation of any healthy democracy is a well-informed electorate. Well, an electorate is informed by the fifth estate, by journalists. And for journalists to not be able to ask questions with follow-ups and for the, the people who are getting those questions to say, well, they have to be on topic. We're only going to make ourselves available on subjects that we want to make ourselves available for. We're only going to answer questions that have to do with those subjects. And you're only allowed to answer, ask one question because we don't want to be held accountable. That is a terrifying place to be in the province of Alberta in 2023.
But there's one other clip that we want to play. completely unrelated. Uh, just trying to get more specific, I guess. In your call to Arthur Pilowski, you said that you've been watching his public advocacy for many years, so that it was nice to connect with him, which suggests you were okay with at least some of his viewpoints. However, on your radio show, you said that you disagree with his quote, with his very extreme views. I think you would agree Albertans deserve to understand what values a premier is using to make decisions. So which of Pulowski's views do you agree with and which ones do you disagree with? I think standing here today shows that I support the incredible diversity and multicultural nature of our province. And I denounce all forms of intolerance and hate regardless of who's saying it. And I, I hope that we approach uh, these issues with each other as a matter of trying to find some, some common ground. And that's what we're here, for, here to do today is to, to nurture understanding. Okay, next question, please. Which brings us to this guy. This is Tariq Khan. And if you look in those videos, he's standing in the very center of those videos. And it's fascinating that Danielle Smith would say that she denounces all forms of hatred and prejudice. That she doesn't tolerate that kind of intolerance. She's built this whole group, this council on multiculturalism and inclusion to create an environment in Alberta that's free of intolerance. Well, we got to talk about Tariq Khan for a couple minutes. So the first question, obviously, is who is Tariq Khan? Well, he's a realtor out of Calgary who, uh, who likes to run for office, it seems. In, uh, in 2019, he ran for the UCP nomination. In Calgary Northeast. Sorry, he tried to run for the UCP nomination in Calgary Northeast. We'll get to why that's important in just a couple of minutes. Um, he also ran in a couple of places in the, the municipal election in Calgary. He kicked off a campaign for Ward 3 for uh, a little bit before he apparently decided that the field maybe was a little bit too crowded or something. I don't know what caused him to make the decision, but he decided to switch over and change from Ward 3, who was the best, he was the best choice for change in Ward 3. Uh, he decided to switch over to Ward 5. Now, he's a, he's a pretty popular guy in conservative circles, it seems. And a, a quick little perusal of his Facebook page shows just how close he is with some folks. Here he is with the... Mickey Amory, who's uh, a minister in Daniel Smith's government, hanging out at the, the stampede, hanging out at the, the legislature, looking pretty tight. Those aren't the only places that, that he and Mickey hung out at. Looks like he was pretty busy in the, in the fall. These are pictures of Mickey Amory. And Mr. Khan down in Medicine Hat campaigning for Danielle Smith. It's a fascinating little little turn of events, a little bit of a drive. But apparently Mr. Khan is quite committed to Danielle Smith. He's got some other causes that he seems to uh, to be committed to as well. This is a post that we were sent 
where he talks about Shahid Afzul Guru will remain symbol of freedom of our motherland. He gave his life for his noble cause. We Kashmiri are very sad and protest against this uh, humble and inhuman act of Indians. I'm going to correct the spelling as I go here. I hope that we will be able to tell Indians that you can't take away our freedom anymore. Now, you might be wondering, who is Afzal Guru? Well, a quick Wikipedia look tells us that he actually coordinated a terrorist attack against the parliament. He was involved with several insurgent groups. And I want to be very clear. When we're talking about these kinds of issues, they, they're complex. When we start to talk about the, the boundaries that exist in regards to partition and India and Pakistan and Kashmir, this gets really, really complicated really, really quick because colonialism did a great job of screwing things up for a really, really long time. And if you want to have issues with any of the people involved in those things, that's totally cool. But endorsing gunfire, endorsing violence, endorsing murder is a heck of a position to take. But it's not the only radical position that appears that uh, Mr. Khan's taken. He shared a video where apparently the Holocaust was revealed as a hoax. Now, obviously, the Holocaust was not a hoax. But it's a pretty terrible thing to be sharing across the internet that the Holocaust could be a hoax. I want to give a little bit of a warning for anyone who's watching the video version of this. The, the next image I'm uncomfortable with. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's not super graphic, but it's moderately graphic. So if you don't like graphic stuff, then uh, maybe now's a good time to look away. We'll tell you when the, the image is off the screen. He also shared this image of a bloodied child. And the Israeli leader with blood dripping out of his mouth with a star of David on his forehead. These are graphic, hateful images. Now you might be thinking, oh, these are geopolitical complex geopolitical situations. Well, who, who are we to judge? And you know, that's a fair question. Who would judge these images to be disqualifying? Who would make that kind of decision? I don't know. Maybe it was the United Conservative Party when they disqualified his nomination for these explicit images. When he ran... When he tried to run for the nomination in 2019, the United Conservative Party was very, very clear that these images would be harmful to the party and its members, and it would cause serious reputational harm. The United Conservative Party characterized these images as highly disturbing. And yet, Daniel Smith appointed this man on her Council on Multiculturalism and Inclusion.
Now, we looked. We wanted to be fair. We wanted to see. Maybe Mr. Khan has issued a public statement at some point that would be readily available where he said, hey, you know what? I shared some stuff in the past. It was really quite horrifying. Uh, I didn't mean to. I've learned a lot. I've evolved. It was a deep fake. I don't know. Um, he, we couldn't find any such statement. But here we have this individual who was disqualified by the UCP. They're the ones who did the due diligence on this. They determined that having him involved with just their party, not something that was specific to multiculturalism and inclusion, just their party was harmful. But apparently he hangs out with Mickey Amory for a while. He's in like Flynn. Apparently he campaigns for Daniel Smith for a little while. It's no problem. But it creates another bigger question, quite frankly, because yet again, we see another person who has extreme views, or at least had extreme views, according to the, what we were provided, including the UCP's own letter, that Daniel Smith welcomes with open arms. At a certain point, we have to start asking more aggressively, is Danielle Smith just so incompetent? Are her staff just so incompetent that they didn't check their own receipts before they appointed people to this council? If the work is so important, which it is, to be clear, why didn't they do their due diligence as the government of Alberta to make sure that these sorts of views that could damage the work of this council weren't going to be a part of it? It, it seems like Danielle Smith is either comfortable with people who have these views or she's so incompetent and her staff are so incompetent that they can't catch it when it comes up again and again and again. It's stunning that this individual would be too toxic for the UCP in 2019, but with no findable public apology, no statements of regret, no attempts at any kind of reconciliation. None of that. He's allowed and welcomed on Premier Smith's council. And I want to be really clear. We're not trying in any way to invalidate the, the council that's been created here. There's no question that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in regards to hate crimes and racism and inclusion and multiculturalism in the province of Alberta. Hate crimes are on a rise. There's no question that this is critically important work to be done. But is this another example of Danielle Smith just being incredibly performative so she can march a bunch of people out, not answer questions apparently, and say, ah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm working for you or her and her staff just so incompetent that they didn't bother to check their own notes. These are really important questions. Unfortunately, there's like five or six of them. And we now know Daniel Smith 
we'll only answer one at a time. Moving on from there, depending on who you ask, apparently if you ask Daniel Smith, we're already in an election or we're in election mode or, or some vague, ambiguous term. And there's some folks that are feeling uh, a little bit not talked about enough. So I'm extraordinary. I love having this guy on the show. He is so diplomatic. He's so gracious and kind. Um, despite circumstances that uh, I just, I can't even, um, it is an honor and a privilege that he continues to, to be willing to come on the show and discuss these issues with us because he's just an amazing, amazing human being. It is my absolute privilege to welcome Don Slater back to the show. Don, how are you doing tonight, sir? Very well, but you don't want to turn on the screen and have my head pop just as you uh, <laughs> put the picture on me. So Thank you for that. I'm I'm digging your new your new format here. It looks great. Now we're playing with some things. <laughs> oh, it looks wonderful. It looks wonderful. How are you doing, sir? So well, I'm hanging in there. Always doing my best, enjoying life, trying to spread joy and happiness throughout the world. Good stuff. So that's that's the thing. Yeah, I was listening to you talk about inclusion and I was thinking, you know, it's very hard for most people to be included when they want to be in the middle. In our era of uh, extreme polarization, most people can't be included unless they, they fall in line with both parties. And for disabled people, it's, it's doubly, doubly difficult because uh, often we're used for inclusion or uh, inspirational porn. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's like uh, a disabled person struggling through things can be quite an inspiration, but you don't want... <clears throat> a politician leaning into the picture to sort of capture the same light that the disabled person has. And you don't want disabled people unable to be critics of the policy of the party. Uh, you'd like them to say, hey, I don't agree with that and be able to speak up. <clears throat> and that's mostly what the, the issues are with inclusion right now is to have a voice and not be a prop. You know, you want to... That said, Alberta is doing a remarkably good job at taking care of the disabled community, whether that be Stelmac all the way back to Lougheed. Of course, there's been stumbles on the way when uh, when client says uh, they're not disabled, throws change at people, or when Matt Wolf says it's uh, Asia's for severely, or when Kenny says removing indexing will not be onerous. These are all huge problems, and they they erode the trust of the disabled community and they, it creates a lot of fear. I will say that uh, accessibility starts with affordability. So you can't really be included in society if you can't afford to participate. So right now, uh, the disabled community is about at the poverty line with the extra $100 that UCP threw in. But that hundred dollars only covered the indexing that they didn't replace. You know, we went, or the CPI went up 12%. They gave us 6%. A disabled person's CPI is calculated differently than the majority CPI because we're like food and rent. And those have gone up much more quickly. So inclusion really, really takes accessibility into account. And uh, there, there are some issues I'd like to talk about, but, I should take a moment to let some air go in and let you, 
let you ask whatever you want to ask. Well, I mean, honestly, and, uh, man, the, the biggest the biggest thing that I want to hear is that you know uh, I really do appreciate that that you reached out and you said that there were some concerns that needed to be brought forward, and I want to just make the space uh, in order yeah. for you to to address what are. I mean, here's my broad question, and then I'm just going to get out of your way. Um, okay. What are what are the biggest concerns that you're hearing about? What are the biggest concerns that you want to see addressed during this next election mode and then the election? Uh, well, what are the things that you want to see happen? Well, I, <clears throat> there's they're really simple things. The first few things that I'll mention are uh, change the payment dates back. Uh, when the UCP changed the payment dates, it was said that they changed them for bookkeeping and it, they may have changed it for the uh, three-day millionaires that were blowing their money before the, uh, the, pay, the first of the month. Um, in the best case scenario, they were punishing the whole community for the actions of a few that were blowing their cash, but uh, they created a lot of anxiety in people because the bank only had to mess up once and there was no space uh, for them to correct their error. So once disabled people started hearing, oops, my payment's coming late, then everybody, the anxiety level was through the roof. Now, a lot of people on Aish have a lot of anxiety to begin with. Uh, adding poverty to that is going to generate even more anxiety. So you've, you've uh, hurt all the people with anxiety disorders, uh, mental health, health disorders, you've placed anxiety on the rest of the community so i look at it as being free to change the payment dates back so i'd like to hear either party announce that we intend to uh, change back the payment dates to what they were another thing i'd like to see is uh, the federal government is working on something called the canadian disability benefit and that is intended to lift all disabled people out of poverty so it's no longer being $100 under under the absolute poverty line or the poverty line. It's the market, ba market basket measure plus a certain percentage that's deemed to be appropriate for people with disabilities because as I previously mentioned, the consumer price index is a little higher for disabled people than it is for the average person. So seeing that Canadian disability benefit executed would be wonderful, but the Senate's main concern right now is that the provinces will claw it back. So if they provide something, they don't want the provinces to claw it back. Now I've heard announcements that they'll, the federal government will uh, reduce the social or the Canadian social transfer to provinces that would claw back the uh, Canadian disability benefit. So I don't see why anything would stop a political party from announcing we will not claw back the Canadian disability benefit. That has the potential to alleviate the fears that the Senate has about the, uh, the act and perhaps it'll speed up uh, its ratification and its delivery to people with disabilities. Other topics that I would mention are don't claw back EI, allow spouses to keep partial benefits uh, you don't want to change the power dynamic completely by making a disabled person completely dependent on their uh, disabled or on their spouse, the provider. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to see money spent uh, instead of on bike lanes. I'd like that's spent on making the LRT safe because 
if you went to green future, you shouldn't have spent billions on the LRT only to have it abandoned because it's become dangerous. Uh, there's other, other things I want to talk about, uh, but I think I've said enough for now, and I'll let you ask a few questions if you have questions to ask. What? And uh, I'll address each thing at a time. I think if you talk too much, people start zoning out, and it's like, oh, boy, this guy's talking a lot. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't want to give him too much to digest. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if people have that with you, but uh, oh, well, that's I, I, I do have a, a one little thing that I want to highlight real quick, and one thing, and then I do have a, a critically yeah. important question that's – uh, very on on topic. Um, so the I mean you, the the thing that you led off with there was the changing the dates back, and I think it's worth reminding people why the dates were changed in the first place. And I'm going to try to yeah. do a little bit of a summary, and then you can correct me where I'm wrong. Um, okay. But if if I'm remembering things right, uh, in effect, what happened was the dates were changed so that they could punt over some expenses from one fiscal yeah. year to the mm -hmm. next fiscal year and say, Oh, yeah. look though, we saved like, I don't know. It was like 80 million, 80 billion or something. I don't yeah. know. It was, a, it was a number. Yeah. Certainly not a number well, that was consequential enough to inflict the harm that it did because it took people by surprise. But yeah. uh, am I getting that right? Am I getting the gist of it? Well, that's what the auditor, auditor general said, but uh, I sort of believe in not backing the person into a corner that they can't gracefully step out of. <clears throat> So it was also mentioned that they changed it to uh, help people budget, right? There were people that were blowing their money, you know, people with certain issues, maybe 0.5%. So that may have, may have been more of an excuse of, to why to change it to justify what they wanted to have done, which was to punt the payments over so their books looked better. Uh, for the dark reason or the light reason, neither reason resulted in a, a good outcome. You know, it created anxiety, it created a trauma, it caused people issues like with their banks and their insurance companies and the payments they had already arranged to make. And, but I think the single biggest issue, like all these people have adapted to that, but they can't adapt to the anxiety of you're, you're leaving it to the last minute. And people with anxiety want that breathing room. They want to know, okay, it's in my bank three days early and I don't have to worry about paying my bills. You know, the most frequent question I'm asked every month is when this, when's the payment day this month? And it's not because people can't look it up. It's like they're afraid it's going to be late. And it has happened far too often. Once is too often because it's really screwed one person, you know. And uh, I imagine it creates a lot of issues for the workers as well. Because the workers are sitting on the phone and people are calling, oh, I didn't get my payment on time. And, I, you know, it's just created a lot of unnecessary trauma for everybody involved. Yeah. So just change it back. It's so easy to do. Like, I, I, you know, it's like a needle on a, <laughs> just flip it back. I'm just like, let's undo this. It didn't work out. Road to hell was paved to go with good intentions. We screwed up. You know, people don't like saying that, but it is what it is. Yeah. I just like somebody to say, just come out and say it. Hey, we're going to change the payment days back. Yay, yay. And everybody goes, yay. And that's, <laughs> that's it for that. <laughs> it seems like some, some easy points. If the, if, yeah. if a political party wink, wink, I see, this is where I say, I love how, yeah. I love how graceful you are, Don, because oh, you, you're you. letting people like, see, I just want to say, I don't care which reason it is. Either one's mm -hmm. bullshit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you could, you can, you're, you're totally free to say that. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a representative of the disabled community. Yeah, not And uh, we don't get a lot of attention, and we don't get a lot of uh, people stepping up and saying, "Oh, I really want to do something for you." So. I have to play the game of uh, flies with honey or vinegar. And sometimes that might not be the way I feel like conducting myself. I might want to just scream and yell, but then I just get ignored and they picked another advocate that'll come in and say exactly what they want them to say. Yeah, you should start a web I, series, man. It's incredibly cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I even got an email from one of the parties that, told me what i wanted to say for a uh, a press release i'm sorry you know what i i received an email that told me what i said or what was what i was going to say in response to a political event you know from a from a from a a person that was a a publicist for one of the parties you know hey don this is what you said we'd like you to sign off on it you know, and I changed it a bit to make it my words and how how I could digest it morally, and it didn't get used. So what are you going to do, right? You stand your ground, you're ignored, you play ball, and you don't get what you want. And that's why I say inclusion includes the ability to be a critic. Absolutely. And say, no, well, I don't really like this, and I'd like it said this way. Can you sort of come my way a little bit? No, 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 no. We're going to do it our way. Well, and this you know? is where, to me, one of the the, the fundamental. I'm going to go on a bit of a tirade here because that just. Okay, is... you go ahead. Yeah, like you can tirade all you want. <laughs> I'll sit here and go, yay! Those are my feelings exactly. But here's yeah. the thing: like that's where it becomes to me. That's where it becomes so incredibly clear uh, which masters are these people serving. Because yeah. if you're in, if you're getting into politics, and I do believe, I want to be clear, I do believe that there are some people who get into politics, who get into the the work of representation because they do want to make things better. They do want to represent their constituents mm -hmm. or their stakeholders or, or, or. I do believe that that happens. I think it's a bit more of a rarity than it should be. But when it gets to the point where somebody's saying, hey, you know what? We want to represent the disabled just as long as you say exactly what we tell you to. Yeah, yeah. Pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, right? There you what, go. What are the other topics um, that you wanted to talk about? Actually, before I let you do that, I got to ask, because mm -hmm. I don't think I asked you last time, and it's, okay. it's caught in my eye. Is the Darth Vader new? Oh, no, he's been there for a little while, but usually he's behind the clock. Okay. I, can, I can move him up a little bit for you. There we go. Okay. I can... Have him sitting on my shoulder. Is he, is he a bobblehead or a Pez dispenser? Because I couldn't quite tell. He's a, he's a bobblehead, but I do have a Darth Vader uh, Pez dispenser too. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I don't know where I don't know where he's gone off to. You you would not believe how many times I've I've called places and said hi, this is Don Slater, and they go, did you just say hi, this is Darth Vader? <laughs> yeah, you know, so uh -huh. embrace it, embrace go. it. What are the other What know. are the other things that you want to see talked about in this election, Don? Uh, well, affordable housing, because that's important for everybody. It's just not not a, uh, not the disabled community alone. Like if I had my dream of affordable housing, it might be a 12-story apartment building built right, right across from a mall with a pedway running across to the mall so that uh, 
disabled people aren't uh, hampered by the weather. Like a person in a wheelchair doesn't run into a windrow every day. So, and a mall can be a community center for disabled people because I think one of the biggest things disabled people suffer from is isolation and lack of community. Uh, COVID was a good thing for the disabled community in only one way that it taught everybody else in our society what it's like to be isolated. Isolated at home, less income, you know, having to deal with all the pains. It sort of made everybody disabled in a way. They, they, they had to react as if they were a disabled person. So that gave everybody a taste. So that was somewhat good. Uh, things are going pretty well for the disabled community as long as the politicians play ball. Like, like this Canadian uh, disability benefit, that's just wonderful. You know, I hope people don't mess it up by asking for it to be too much, like include this person and that person. Just just pass it the way it is. You know, don't take out too big of a bite and just have the provinces be, provinces be gracious about it and don't look at it as found money. You know, this has got no clawback should happen to anybody in poverty. That's like taking money out of a collection plate. You see in the collection plate, go down the line, somebody put in a 50 and the guy says, oh, I can make change with that. And, you know, takes out 60. So uh, we, we don't want to see that. Um, other things I, I could really talk about is uh, the power dynamic. Like when a person gets married and they're on age, they lose all their age if their husband or wife is making lots of money. I'd like to see a person on age retain some amount of their age so that they can maintain some level of independence while in a relationship. I don't think a marriage is an ownership contract. <clears throat> I think each person has to be an individual. You don't stand in each other's shadow. And so allowing a little bit of money at least, at least uh, to allow a person not to succumb to abuse or, or the power dynamic would be a great thing to see. Um, what are other thoughts? I sort of written down. Uh, allowing people to have their EI would be wonderful. Um, Asia encourages people to work, and that's a great thing because if you can work just even just a little bit, now you're out of poverty and your life is a lot better. Uh, some jobs are available to people that can't say I. That can be flexible hours and flexible conditions so that people who are disabled can work. But if you allow a person to have a better life. Uh, and they've come to appreciate a better standard, you shouldn't cause a person to lose that better standard by saying you can't have EI when you said they can work, they paid their insurance, but no, no, that's too much. I think that's one of the biggest problems with AISH and the policies that are developed for the program is that the philosophies in welfare where we don't want to give a person too much because they'll get comfortable on it, and therefore they won't, they won't fly and, uh, and develop as a person, don't really apply to Ish because when you're disabled, no amount of carrot and the stick will, will uh, change your circumstances. Like you're going to be disabled forever. That's assured income for the severely handicapped is only given to people with long-term disabilities. So applying the carrot and the stick philosophy to the program is somewhat silly, but you know, outdated thinking is outdated thinking. It takes time for people to evolve and come along. But 
like I said, things are looking good. And as long as politicians can just step forward and say, yeah, I support that. Yeah, I'm going to go along with that. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Then that goes a long way with the disabled community in it. And it can really uplift people and make them feel a lot better about their future. So uh, you can ask me tough questions if you like. I think I've run out of words about things to talk about. But you can always bring up something new that I haven't thought about. So. Uh, it's, the problem is when it comes to, to tough questions with, with you, Don, is that mm -hmm. there's, there's no malice in you. There's no mm -hmm. deception in you. There's no disingenuous okay. with you. I've never in any of the conversations that we've had, I've never not once felt like, oh, it's time to hold Don's feet to the fire. Cause I think he's spinning a line. Well, I could always go put on my bitchy pants and come back. <laughs> I suppose. I, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, I would talk about, uh, can I talk about a few other things? Do you have time? You can talk about whatever you want, man. Okay. Uh, the two people that were standing behind Daniel Smith, uh, Maydew and Rashawn, I don't think they're going to be back uh, for better or for worse. Um, no, I don't think either of them would be back. Uh, Rashawn, I like Rashawn to talk to Rashawn, but I don't know her well enough to say that she's a saint or a demon. Well, she's got to make ground, make make ground in a whole new constituency now because she yeah she yeah. hopped over for. Well, she had some good people like Philip Nee was a good person, right? And uh, he's with Inclusion Alberta now. Maydew, I don't know. You know, I've heard things like he's Mister Huggy and stuff like that. Even when you don't want to hug, he's giving you one. So, who knows? That might not be a good thing. Uh, you were talking about uh, how Daniel Smith made announcements about cancer and how they're making announcements about heart disease. It's your fault. My PSA test didn't detect the fact that I had cancer. You know, I did everything right. The test failed. And when the test was right, my cancer was in stage four. So, yeah, don't say that in the future. But the other thing is, they want people to be responsible for their health, but they just cut a trial uh, at the University of Alberta that is far more accurate at detecting prostate cancer and where's it where it has metastasized to. So if they just did that test when they do it in most other countries now, it shows you every little speck of cancer in your body where the current tests they're using are basically best guess in the presence of high PSA levels. So they're costing themselves a lot of money. They're not being proactive about treating people with cancer and diseases of that sort. But then they're saying at the same time, if you got disease, it's your fault. And uh, I don't like that too much. There, I got my bitchy pants on. For no, that, that was, uh, you know, man, I got to say, Danielle Smith has said some things. Uh, no, I, she has... I think before, I think before she was nominated, we talked about how she can get one, not one, but two feet in her mouth at the same time. Yep. You know, she should put shoes on her hands too. But the, those, those, <laughs> that comment that she made about. It's cruel. It's, and it's thoughtless. Yeah. You know, sometimes as a disabled person, there can be a lot of uh, soft, I'd like to call it soft ableism, you know, instead of just ableism, which is sort of a bigotry people are just not aware, you know, like the guy driving the snow plow that goes around the corner and leaves a windrow right at the wheelchair ramp. You know, maybe somebody never told them like, Hey, don't do that. And there's, or the person that's building a building and uh, 
the buttons for the elevator are slightly too high for a person in a wheelchair. They're just, they're not thinking about these things, right? Yeah. My building, they installed a new security system and the uh, disability button no longer worked on the door. <laughs> you know, and when you, when, when not you, when you use your, I'm, I'm just, yeah. <sighs> yeah. When you used your tag to open the door, you had to hold your tag and then you had to reach over the disability button and the two were like 12 feet apart and you're like Houdini with a fork. Launching the nuclear missiles. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, wow, man. There, There's issues, but, uh, you know, I love the little community I've made up. There's always somebody that gets so hot-headed that you have to say bye-bye to them and I like the harmony that I have on my little page. I, I'm working with so many good people right now. I just like them to have a voice. It's not just me. There's others that, you know, they have great character. And I think disabled people in general have really great character. Uh, they might throw temper tantrums every once in a while because they're just so tired of the drudgery and the, the struggle of existing in absolute poverty. Um, but I'm hoping now that our load is lightening a little bit and things will actually come to fruition. And that everybody, conservative to liberal, will want to do what's right. There, there are good people in the evil party, and there's some evil people in the good party, and we just want all the good people to come to the forefront, right? So, we don't. Well, we want conservatives like Stelmac. Well, you God know, bless his soul. here's a question that I'll ask you before I before because you've been. I, I could take up all night with you, man. I just I okay. really enjoy hearing. You're just so unbelievably gracious it's ridiculous like <laughs> i don't know how no. you do it i honestly i yeah. don't know how you do it because i i don't <laughs> well I, I you know i don't have time to be angry i've got to enjoy every day i have left right that's fair and all the pressure is off me you know i don't have to worry about my life i'm just worried about the welfare of others and it's easy to be kind when you're truly concerned about your fellow man and their welfare. They don't make a statue out of you, man. I just don't know. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, I'm going to be sitting here. And it's going to be pop. <laughs> it's not cancer that took Don out. It was Nate's, Nate's compliment. Here's, here's, oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm not one to take compliments very well. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm trying to be gracious, but, and thank you so much. You know what? That really makes me feel good. And, and when, uh, when uh, we're done on this, I'll, I'll go look in the mirror and go, yay! Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Lukasik? Because this is, this is to me, when I saw Lukasik. it. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know if you caught it or not, but on yeah. uh, Saturday, he put out a tweet where he was like, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase, but he basically was like, Daniel Smith's the worst thing that could happen to Alberta. So I'm actually yeah. campaigning for the NDP. That was like, yeah. a, whoa. Yeah. He's doing well, it. Did did we see when Darth Vader turned back to the light side? I just you know if I, I think Luke Kasich was a really strong conservative in Stelmec's government, but he's realized that the UCP doesn't the C in UCP doesn't stand for conservative really. It stands for something else. I don't know whatever you want to assign to that letter, but. Uh, the NDP is more central than people realize. Oh, uh, yeah, but they don't. I think the problem with the NDP is the supporter who's a little bit of a do-gooder and is 
morally certain and won't allow somebody with a little bit of a difference of opinion to express themselves without, you know, and so I think the NDP is a little undone by their supporter versus poly, uh, policy. Of course, the policy could be better. The center of the party needs to, you know, really reach out to people and embrace people a little better. Uh, Lekusik himself, I don't mind the man, you know. I think when he when he had grandchildren, that, that really changed his heart. You know, he really started to look at the world <clears throat> as a compassionate conservative. And I, what is a compassionate conservative but a good human being? You know, let's put the compassionate first. Yeah. And maybe a compassionate conservative could, by another name, could be called a liberal. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I think he wants to do good. And if he's identifying with the NDP now, that should be a really big call out to all conservative supporters, <clears throat> even in the rural areas, that perhaps we got to take a sincere look at the NDP as the party that's worth electing. Um, you know, he's very involved in politics. He's very involved in international matters. <clears throat> and yeah, that's a, that's a really big stark warning. That's, you know, it's a flashing sign really. It is. Uh, it's, it's time to, it's time to change our thoughts. Now there are some people that aren't going to listen no matter what you do. Oh no. They're, I mean, they're they're, still... Some of them are in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, it's not too bad tonight, still... but some weeks, man, let me yeah. tell you, there's some folks. Well, emotional reasoning is a consequence of polarization, right? The further you become entrenched on any little view that's this far away from what you're currently thinking is just like, that's your, you're on the right or you're on the left. And we need to get back to this. Let's do what's right for everybody. You know, a conservative will see a hole in this roof and he might spend, you know, 20 bucks and do it himself and fix it himself and, a liberal might buy the 40-year shingles. And that should really be the only two difference. You're, you don't want water in your, in your house, you know. <laughs> you're just doing, you're doing what's right and you have different approaches. But when we start seeing things differently, seeing the facts, oh, there's, there's no hole in my roof. That's just the damn liberals, you know. They're just pouring water in my living room. You know, it's just... It, it, politics is getting crazy. There's a lot of problems in the world. But I think the biggest thing is that everybody in the public is feeling a crush. You know, they're feeling the crush of the world and everything that's going wrong with capital. Capitalism is sort of preying on us instead of serving us. But not everybody's able to identify where that's coming from. They don't know where the weight, who's piling the weight on their back. So when they're given a scapegoat or one of the party points to the other party, oh, that's what the problem is. And they, they emotionally get invested and they don't want to change their minds at all. And they don't want to, you know, think, let, let's look at the facts here. They just, they want to go, yay team. And uh, that's a bad trap. Yeah. You know? And that's just my opinion. Well, I appreciate You know, you're a smart man. I'm constantly amazed that you can talk on so many topics with, uh, with so much knowledge. It's only because you know, so. I am informed by wonderful people like you, sir. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> that's nice to hear yeah. Don I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat tonight um, it's been a true pleasure oh, as it's always. always just I, I always just feel lighter 
after a conversation. Oh, that's with good. You. There you go. Well, I try spreading joy and happiness wherever I go. Well, I got I got one fun little story that I got I want to share before I open it up to our Twitter Spaces audience. But okay. uh, sincerely, man, thank you, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat. It is, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm scared to give you compliments now. Yeah, you don't have to. Uh, Just say, "Hey, Don, he's great." There you go. That's good. You're, you're an inspiration, man. That's <laughs> oh, that's, that's where where I'll I'll leave it for there. Hey, okay. Are you are you on the Twitter machine? No, I don't do Twitter at all. Okay, that's probably wise. It's uh, yeah, it's a uh, well, I I don't hardly do Facebook at all anymore. That's wiser because uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I just have my little group, and I've I've made it very calm, and all the people that are just hot under the collar are not there anymore. Um, I've been I've been using Chat GTP four a lot lately. I'm I'm liking that, and uh, I like the idea that uh, AI is coming. I, I'm seeing only the good things from AI, but I know people are seeing a lot of scary things from it. So I I will welcome looking... our new overlords. Yeah, as long as there is, as long as it's programmed to be humane, I'd rather us get it first than an adversary. For sure. You know, and if AI was so terrible, then all these alien species that developed AI first would have come here and wiped us out a long time ago. So, you know, that's that's just a stupid comment. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the conspiracy conspiratorial thinking that you can have, but. Yeah, I think that AI could make the world a lot better. Like, I, I sometimes have a chat with AI, and I wish it would have been available during COVID because it speaks so politely, you know, and I think that's how everybody should be online. But I don't. Put a piece of glass between anybody in the world, and they'll just shake their fist. They'll become a road rager on the internet highway. So. It's like those little dog videos that you see where the where there's, like, the, the gate between the dogs, and they're, like, just rawr, 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 going at each other. That's an excellent, like, excellent whoa, whoa, analogy. As I was in barking. You, uh, you weren't barking. Yeah. There was no barking. Uh, yeah. And then the, then the door closes again, and they go right back exactly. to barking at each other <laughs> just 10 seconds later. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know combined maybe we can make the world a kinder place i know that's really what you want for alberta and that's what i want to and i'm sure all your followers you know they want the same thing even though they may rage on you every once in a while they're here to listen you so, know if you're not in, in my in my little sandbox if you're you and i take very different approaches to the to the universe and i respect the hell out of yours don't get me wrong um okay. but uh, i think that there needs to be sometimes the the, the folks like yourself who are, are taking a much more conciliatory tone to thing. But I think that also sometimes there needs to be somebody going, well, that's just bullshit. Uh, yeah. You, you do have to rage against the machine sometimes, but when you do, you have to have the support underneath your feet to do that yeah. too. Right. You can't be standing on a trap door all the time. This is very true. So, and I think that's what disabled people sometimes feel yeah. like there's no safety net underneath us. And the words we say could, blow back upon us and just wipe us out when you're a powerful individual you can say whatever you want and or when you're brave so you've got courage i've got amiability so there you let's, go let's there we go maybe we'll there we'll leave it at that awesome. so there you go. thank you so much Todd. Okay. you're welcome thank you for having me tonight all right Moving on from there, we got one other little feel-good story that we wanted to to bring to the attention of uh, our audience before we uh, we open it up to the Twitter Spaces. I think we already have one person who wants to speak, and I want to. I definitely want to get to them as soon as I possibly can. But this one's too good to not talk about. <laughs> 
we got to talk about this dude for a sec. The mayor elect of Calgary, Alberta, the, the man who fought the law and the law won. Uh, Kevin J. Johnston made the news again this week. Um, not normally a, a figure that we would typically comment on, but it's, it's just so tasty that we wanted to, we wanted to, to bring it up. Some of you might remember Kevin J. Johnston was one of the provocateurs during the last municipal campaign in Calgary. Uh, he was big in with the anti-health restrictions, big in with the conspiracy, had absolutely no problem saying inflammatory things, things so inflammatory, he went and got himself into a little bit of trouble. And this week, he has been ordered to pay $650,000 for defaming and harassing an AHS inspector. Now, we occasionally, we read some legal judgments because sometimes they're relevant to the things that we're talking about, but it's very rare. And I can say for me personally, I, have, I haven't I have seen one this spicy in a while. So we just wanted to share a couple bits as a, as a feel-good moment for y'all. Kevin J. Johnston enjoyed a moment of notoriety as a candidate for mayor in Cal of Calgary in 2021 during his mayoral campaign on his opponent's online talk show. And anytime there was a microphone nearby, Mr. Johnson spewed misinformation, conspiracy theories, and hate among his favorite targets were Alberta Health Services and Sarah Noon, who was employed by AHS as a public health inspector. It goes on, but we're going to get skip to the end here. Um... And this is the 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 award the the decision that was written by the judge, by the way. So that was not like an editorial in the Sun. That was written by the judge. the The conclusion: I award Miss Noon three hundred thousand dollars in general damages for defamation, one hundred thousand in general damages for harassment, and a further two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in aggravated damages. Permanent injunctions restraining Mr. Johnson's activities in relation to AHS, Ms. Noon, are in the terms set out in these reasons are granted. I award Ms. Noon the costs of the proceeding pursuant to the rules of court multiplied by three. I direct counsel for the plaintiffs to file with the court for the correspondence between the parties and the court consuming the issues in the application. He has a permanent injunction against him preventing him from going anywhere near and harassing any Alberta health services employees. And it's just awesome. It's just awesome. That being said, we're going to open it up to our Twitter spaces now for the tail end of our show. If there's anybody who has any thoughts that they want to share, if you want to tell me what, uh, what we got wrong, what we got right, any of those things, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. And we've already got somebody up on deck. Mr. Nobody, I, I dig your profile picture. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Atari myself. I have the, uh, the shirt in my closet. What's going on tonight? I'm not hearing anything. That's not great. Rot row. Oh, here we go. I think I fixed you. Okay, you can hear me okay, right? Yeah, we got you now, man. Sorry about that. Okay, no, just want to make sure here. Okay, anyways, yeah, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak and to be heard by others. And, uh, I just want to give uh, you know a big tip of the hat to the uh, Mr. Don Slater there for what he uh, said in regards to um, 
the way this province has been treating the disabled people. And uh, I just wanted to um, make some kind of commentary. Uh, first off with Jason Kenny, when he uh, did that switch with the payment dates, you know, um, pardon me, sorry, I gotta back up here. I, I'm someone who's had some exposure to some people on AISH as well as Alberta Works or Alberta Supports or whatever the government euphemism is uh, for, you know, call it for what it is, welfare. And I, I've seen firsthand in how these changes has affected people, right? And I can understand what Mr. Slater said in, re in regards and reference to how some of these people on, um, on AISH have pre-existing anxiety problems. And it only compounded with uh, Jason Kenney with his sleazy, duplicitous, underhanded, you know, uncouth way of changing the payment dates from the last three or four days of the month to the first. And that was just a one-time thing for him in order for to give a, I don't know how you would say it, a metaphorical sleight of hand in regards to, you know, numbers and how you were deferring these millions of dollars for the next fiscal year uh, starting in April provincially versus, you know, having it, having all those numbers up for the, that last fiscal year where it ended on March 31st. So to me, in my opinion, the reason why he did that is because he doesn't see people on AISH or on, you know, Alberta Works as people that would vote for him. So he had like zero regard whatsoever. And the thing is to me, like when you're in public office, regardless of where your values and beliefs are on the left center, right paradigm, you know, you're supposed to look at all interests for everybody, regardless whether they voted for you or not, or whether they're actually able to vote for you or not, or not qualified to vote for you or not. And to me, that was really, um, really gross neglect on Jason's Kenny, J Jason Kenny's part. Okay. Uh, so I would like to see, you know, whoever is in power, whether it's the UCP or the NDP, um, make a change back to the payment date. Uh, because some of these people who are receiving AISH, uh, they also qualified for Canada Pension Plan Disability. Okay. So the AISH, they didn't get the full AISH. They only got the top up to what is the current number? I believe 1788. Okay. I'm not too sure about the, the, the number. And a lot of people, um, for if they had some sort of hiccup, hang up or whatever, you know, they were counting on that Canada Pension Plan disability payment date because that wasn't changed because it was coming from the federal government just to make sure that the rent was paid on time. Okay. Not everybody on AISH collects CC, pardon me, CPPD. Okay. So, um, and uh, another thing I uh, wanted to mention is it would be nice if when it comes to both AISH and Alberta Supports or Alberta Works that they have a proper index when it comes to um, the eligibility of, of benefits, okay? Um, instead of having these large bonuses or, or trying to offset whether it's what Danielle Smith did two months after she became premier or what Rachel, Rachel Notley did, you know, three months before the election in, in 2019, okay? Um, another thing I just wanted to mention, which is not really talked about, is the thresholds of income. Like both with AISH 
and uh, Alberta works, you're allowed to make a certain dollar amount before they start doing clawbacks. Okay. So um, if I have my numbers correct, because I don't want to, you know, believe me, I'm just, I'm doing this in good faith. I may not have my numbers hundred percent correct. Okay. I don't want to inadvertently mislead anybody. To my understanding, if you're on H, you can collect 800 or $850 clear. Like that's after deductions and anything above that gets clawed back 10%. When you're on Alberta works, um, you can only make $220 and anything above that gets clawed back 75%. Now I can understand that, you know, the H and the Alberta works is told two totally different things. Okay. And that, you know, um, but there's just some people where they go on unemployment, unemployment runs out. And the thing is, unfortunately they have to resort to Alberta works. Okay. And they need, you know, the necessary help. Uh, in order to um, find, you know, stable employment where they can legitimately sustain themselves. Because my impression with the bureaucracy of Alberta Works is that they want you to get a job, any kind of job. Question is, is that can that job legitimately sustain you? Is it only a part-time job? Is it a full-time job? They don't care because all they want to do is clear the file and get you off the uh, off off payment. Okay. Um, another thing I wanted to mention to you um, is when it comes to elections, Alberta. Okay. Uh, in the past and even now, like they've opened up employment opportunities for people who are, it used to be 18 and above, but now it's 16 and above. And even some of these schools will, you know, they have a program where, you know, somebody who's a teenager they will give them an acceptable day off from school to participate in um, doing the polling work at the uh, polling stations. And, you know, it pays them, gives them work experience. And to me, that promotes, you know, a culture of people going out to vote. Where even though that these people who are 16, 17 year old, where they're not legally able to vote, they can at least administer the vote and hopefully that kind of rubs on, rubs off on them in a positive way where, you know, it encourages to come back as, as the member of the electorate, regardless of who they vote for. Okay. And this leads on, on to another thing is when it comes to the Alberta works office, and I've been in there before to use the resources, whether it's the computer, the printer, uh, the Xerox machine, or, you know, resume books or whatnot. Um, Regardless of who is in power, whether it's the PCs, the UCP, the NDP, okay, they never promote these job opportunities that, where they need a whole bunch of people in a short amount of time in regards to election Alberta. Never. And, you know, if Alberta Works is supposed to be an out, outfit where you're trying to promote people to get into the workplace, um, I mean, when you work for... Alberta elections, which I've some, which I've done in the past, um, you know, it's a temporary job. It's a, you know, a marathon day. If you're working on general election day, it's not so bad. If you're working advanced polling, the days aren't so long and you get paid more, but they purposely keep people in the dark at the Alberta works office. No, no mention of it, no promotional posters, no nothing 
about these employment, these temporary employment opportunities that they have uh, for Elections Alberta. And to me, I'm not putting blame on the political parties. I'm putting the blame on the bureaucrats, you know, the, the, the faces and the names that are not out there who are hiding behind the scenes. Because to me, in my, in my personal opinion, if, you're, if you guys are trying to legitimately get people back in the workplace, um, wouldn't it be beneficial if the person, um, if they're younger, they needed some work experience or to make an opportunity to make a few dollars on top of their age or on top of their Alberta works so they can at least improve their quality of life for that month and get some people uh, working at the, at the polling stations? Because I have seen people on age and um, they cannot work a legitimate full-time job all the time. They can work a part-time job. Um, but, you know, even offering them an election job or promoting an election job for the people on age who, who, who can legitimately perform those duties, um, why are you, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And it, it gives them, you know, an opportunity to have positive esteem and, and legitimately earning their dollars and helping and helping them, um, you know, help pay their bills on their end. And uh, that's, you know, that's, you know, to me, uh, you know, a really a, a big failure as far as the bureaucracy is concerned uh, with the Alberta Works not promoting these uh, employment opportunities with um, elections, Alberta. Yeah, so, I think you make an excellent point there, man. Like it is, it is. <clears throat> It is work that would be, and obviously, uh, when we're talking about people on age, it's going to be different for every individual, what they're going to be able to do, what kind of jobs they're going to be able to engage with, and for what length of time. That's going to that's gonna vary from person to person. But I think that, you know, to your point and to the points that, that Don was making uh, earlier, it, it's about opportunity as much as it is anything else. And speaking of Don, I just want to... Uh, clarify because he was he's he's lurking in the shadows here as, as Eric, i see now a couple of people in the comments the amount that you can make on age is a thousand and seventy two dollars and then after that every dollar it's fifty percent is clawed back so that gives a little bit of a little bit of little bit of context there um i yeah thanks man i really appreciate you coming in we got so we got a couple other people who are are lined up to to speak anything else you want to say real quick before i throw it to our next person yeah, no, yeah, no. I appreciate you correcting me with the one thousand and seventy-two. Like I said, I wasn't too sure. Like that. Absolutely. That no, no, I'm not. I'm not jumping on you. Yeah. Oh no, no. I appreciate that because the thing is, the like the thing is, the number that I had, I wasn't too sure if it was stale dated or not, right, or stale information. So I do appreciate you correcting me, and I and I know that you're not trying to jump on me or or you know uh, give me a hard time, um, uh, you know about that. But yeah, no, anyways, um, I will leave it at that because I know there's other people who probably like to express themselves. It's just, I wanted to give a perspective from someone who's seen stuff firsthand, you know, because there is people out there, just to, just to close off and I'll, and I'll land it on this, is that there's people on age, because of their situation mentally, physically, or both, they can't legitimately work. But there's some people out there on age who can work, who can contribute, but they cannot do it to the same magnitude or the same extent uh, compared to someone who's not beleaguered by whatever, you know, um, predicament those people on HR. 
but there's but like for the ones who can work a part-time job or casual labor like yeah don't don't, don't you know give them that opportunity and uh, you know before they get you know their benefits clawed back right so anyways i'm going to leave it at that and i'll let you go on to the uh, next person thank awesome. you thanks man appreciate that we're going to move on to the politics of disability and equity. And yeah, I got it right this time. I know. I wrote it down and everything. <laughs> That's awesome. You were you were expecting me, I guess. Well, I, I, I saw the, the, the request and then I made a note over here on my little. Ah, uh, that was sweet of you. Um, only took like so six times. I, I wanted to further clarify that. So because and, and the. The so it's yeah, the first $1,072 is 100% exempt. Every dollar after that, up to a maximum of $2,009, is 50% exempt. And what that means is if you're on Asian, you make $2,009 in a month. I did the math and I might not be completely. 100% accurate, but it's around, I, I believe it was around 350 that would actually get deducted off your age check from what I remember when I did the math like over a year ago. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I mean, and cause a lot of people get excited about the, the 1000 and they're afraid to go because they know that there's some kind of deduction after the 1072, they become fearful about how much and, you know, I did the math so I could say, hey, it's not that much. If you do manage to get a job that where you're making $2,009 in and around, this is how much is going to be taken off. So it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you in a big way, right? It's, it's going to balance out, right? Between your paycheck and that, and you'll still have enough for your rent, blah, blah, blah on rent day. So I, I just wanted to clarify that because that's something that people do get a lot very anxious about when they think about going back to work and stuff. And I get a lot of questions. Also, I do a lot of activism, as you could guess by my my YouTube and Twitter name. Um, I do a lot of activism on disability. <laughs> and I, because I am a disabled person myself, I do live on age. And uh, a lot of I've been. I'm hooked up with activists, uh, d disabled activists right across the country, as well as in our own lovely province of Alberta. And I know that there, there's some, some, I mean, there, there, there is starting to become some consensus around a few things um, that Don was actually talking about. Um, like we're starting to grow a consensus about, you know, like the, when they first came out about the disability benefit, a lot of people got, got frightened. And when that was originally proposed, I know the guy that actually, it was a regular guy in Ontario on ODSP that actually got this petition going during COVID, got enough signatures that he was able to get it. Um, he actually spoke to it on the floor of parliament. And that's was the, catalyst for the beginnings of this disability benefit but it was always about in originally it was about provinces have failed us and we want um we, we wanted the federal government to just kind of take the income part and say okay we're going to make this a fully federal um a fully federal benefit 
because it, it also it also plays into how the way this patchwork of disability benefits across the country um, actually deny us some of our rights that are guaranteed under the charter. And so I, I'm not going to get into the whole thing right here and now because uh, I was wasn't actually prepared to go into it. But um, but a lot of people got upset and they were terrified because clawbacks are such a huge deal for people, whether you're on ACE or you're on PWD in BC or ODSP in Ontario, you know, clawbacks are a huge issue when it comes to other benefits that, that tend to get added on. And um, because of that fear, I think that's kind of has a lot to do with why they've decided to go with this top up rather than a full federal benefit. I could be wrong, but I think that has part part to do with it. But anyway, I, I know that it's not intended to be that. But um, the other thing I was going to say is I know a lot of people have come to a consensus around, like, see, both, both employment insurance and um, CPPD are things that when you're employed, you pay into. You get the benefit of them because you paid into them and they're they're meant to be income replacements. So when you can't work anymore, they're meant to be a partial replacement of the income you lost and, and you paid with it with that income that you lost. And so a lot of people were wanting to advocate, and I've been a part of these discussions, to say that why don't instead of taking them dollar for dollar from Aish, why don't we treat them just the way you would treat employment income? Because they were meant to replace employment income, so why shouldn't they be treated as such? And so I know amongst disability advocates across the country that that is something that people are working on and advocating for. Hopefully people are people, the powers that be are listening to us um, and, and something will happen. Um, and the only other comment I wanted to make, because you were talking about off the topic of disability for a second, um, you were talking about um, our little friends give, send, go campaign. I think I said that right. <laughs> yeah, and we're talking that right. about that one donation of $5,000. So the well, individual $1,000 and $500 was two separate donations. Yeah. One was one, but you said one was 5,000. No, one was a thousand. One was 500. Oh, I thought you said 5,000. Okay. No, I thought I heard 5,000 in, in there. And I was thinking, cause the, an individual the maximum individual contribution is 4,300 for one person. Yeah. And so, and I misheard that. And I'm thinking, no, you can't do that. No, anyway, so, but I was wrong. So there we go. that's everything I have to say. Awesome. Well, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, for I, I love how, how this, this conversation shaping up tonight. Thank you so much for throwing that in there. No problem. All righty. Moving on through the list. We got a couple other people who have uh, tapped in here. We got Brent Tyson. What's going on, Brent? Oh, good evening, Nate. I, you know what? I, I, I don't know why I got the alert that your um, um, show was on tonight, but I did, and I was sitting here, and I was enthralled. Uh, Don was amazing, and you're right. Don's I'd like so awesome. to have him talk to me a half an hour 
every day because it would probably pick me up. Um, I'm sure every conversation I, I have with him ends up lowering my blood pressure somehow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'd bring me down to earth in a second for uh, for sure. Um, but it, I mean, for your listeners, I'm I'm the Alberta Party candidate for Edmonton decor. Um, and what I heard Don talking about, if you if you actually go and look at our our policy and what's probably going to be rolled out officially in the next week or so, it was like, oh my God, were you in our meetings or whatever? So it was kind of cool. Um, but uh, what I wanted to tell people is, this is what we've been hearing. We we opened up a citizen lab. Uh, to allow people, allow Albertans to um, communicate, tell us what their issues were, what was important to them, and what we got back was affordability. And, I mean, you take a look at the other parties, and I haven't heard anybody here say tonight, well, NDP's got a good affordability uh, platform, or UCP's got a good affordability platform. It's non-existent. It's, it's just not there. Um, it, it, the idea of cutbacks um, we're looking at intensively and exactly that like why should you get uh, cut back from the benefit that you qualified for until what you're earning amounts to a living wage um, and, and that's kind of the way that we're looking at it um, what is a living wage that's um, again a discussion but the bottom line is we don't want to take these benefits away from people who uh, deserve them. And it's not just H. It's any people who are on any kind of benefit that would get clawed back uh, because of income earned. That just makes no sense. And it doesn't move us forward. Uh, and that's, that's really my input, Nate, for tonight. And, um, you know, you're doing a good thing here. When are you, uh, when you guys dropping that policy, man? Uh, you know, I, I don't have the whole details on it, Nate. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying the, the, the issue is live, okay? It's a live issue. And affordability is important to us. It's important to me. I have to tell you, you know, I've lived in North Edmonton for 30 years. I have never seen people on street corners at lights in the Meridian um, asking for help. I've, I haven't seen that ever. Um, and now I see it daily. Something's got to be done. Really. That's the bottom line. Something's got to be done. Well, when you guys, when you guys have your something, love to hear it. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, you and I are going to talk, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, but the good people out there, Check us out, really. You know, we're we're not bad people. Um, anyway, Nate, you have a good night. I'm gonna. Uh, I've had a long weekend umpiring and teaching umpires and doing all that garbage. If you've been watching, um, but uh, yeah, love it. Love you, everybody. We are gonna look after you if you give us a chance. Please have a good night, Nate. Have a good night, Brent. <laughs> All right, we're going to open it up for Sam and then we're going to come back to politics of disability and equity because she's fervently raising her hand. But uh, we got Sam in the queue here, Sam Collins. Sam, I don't know if you're there. What's going on, man? 
Uh, not too much. Um, this is going to be a bit of a different one. We didn't uh, highlight on it uh, in your breakdown there, but uh, just want to talk about the school bus driving changes um, and some of the comedy that came with that. I don't know if anybody else noticed, but uh, Devin Dreeshen being the one to announce it, given his uh, track record of drinking, drinking at work was uh, kind of ironic to me and sort of funny. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, I just want to highlight on the changes and uh, the timing of it also didn't seem to be the best considering the humble tragedy that had happened. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, a lot of people weren't really happy and I noticed a lot of parents just on Twitter and stuff, just having a lot of issues with those changes. And I mean, you know, a big reason for them not having the school drivers is school bus drivers, right. Is, is, you know, they're not really increasing the wages. So I just wanted to, highlight that as kind of another UCP funny story for the week. So Yeah, it's a weird thing that they would do that they would, you know, like let's take training away from school bus drivers. That'll make parents more confident. Um that was a that was a fascinating take. And I love the again that was another one. I mean we had some fun with that here at the show. Um the, the it was like stock footage week and stock photo week for the UCP and all of the, the press announcements, even their announcement of the, the, the premier's council on multiculturalism and inclusion, um, that despite the fact that they assembled everybody in one place to stand behind the, the premier, apparently nobody thought to pull out the, the iPhone pro and, and snap a picture because they used a stock photo for, for that announcement. So, you know, it's, I think there's probably some tired people in government, but we'll bring it back to politics of disability and equity. I just, just because he said, nobody said it, I've got to say it. <laughs> so I've looked at both plans of the L of the NDP and the UCP. I don't trust much of what they're putting out in their platform because it contradicts a lot of their policy behind the scenes but i do know and i've been paying attention the ndp has put out some very um is started and they're starting to put out some very detailed um and comprehensive um on on their affordability plans from everything from what they're planning for health care what they're planning for um age and seniors and income support and for education, um, tuition freezes. There's, there's just, I, there's so much I can't even list it all. But I would say, if you go to albertandp.ca under commitments, you can get a very comprehensive look and read and judge for yourself. That's all I got to say. As everybody should. Well, I, and I just want to say, um, I don't have a problem with. I think that we need more people who are looking at policy um, objectively. And I think that we need more people who are voting based on policy, based on the quality of the candidate, as opposed to, well, I'm team blue or I'm team orange. Um, because again, as we've said many times on the show here before, you got to demand better. Even if you're playing on that team, you got to demand better from them. Um, but to your point, I mean, we did see today, uh, Rachel Notley and the NDP announced that they're uh, going to hire 150 more police officers and start pairing them with social workers, mental health workers, addiction counselors, and more. So it's interesting to see the, the policy that's starting to be rolled out, which is great. 
Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's it is very interesting, and and the more I see, actually, it actually kind of gets me excited. So, it's and here's the thing, like uh, to your point, I I have a very difficult time believing anything that Daniel Smith says because she contradicts herself in the next breath, and and that's not a you know I'm sure that there are there have to be people who are working on policy for the UCP and people who are working on platform for the UCP who are well-intentioned in doing so in good faith. But the problem is, and we even saw a column from Don Braid this week where he talked about this, the he's hearing from MLAs anonymously where they're saying uh, things like, we're terrified of what Daniel Smith is going to say next. And even in the, the, the pieces that we played, there's one other little, little thing that I want to highlight before I wrap it up. Cause I forgot to throw this graphic up, but when da Daniel Smith was talking about, well, you know, you can always uh, go ahead and talk to the, um, uh, the ethics commissioner. You can talk to the ethics commissioner and she'll give you the answers. The, the sad truth of the matter is the ethics commissioner is actually explicitly forbidden from from doing that um, under Section 26.1 of the Conflict of Interest Act uh, of the ethics commissioner or any staff may not disclose to anyone a the fact that the office has received a request for investigation, b that the investigation is being conducted or not, and c the outcome of uh, any such investigation. If the commissioner conducts an investigation and submitted to the speaker of the legislative assembly, the office of the ethics commissioner cannot release it. So for Daniel Smith to stand up in front of a bunch of cameras and a bunch of news reporters and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I, I've been advised not to answer any of those questions. But if you uh, if you contact the ethics commissioner's office directly, she'll answer all of your questions. I'm sure she'd be happy to. Again, it just betrays either a willingness to mislead people um, or an ignorance of how the processes actually work, either of which are not great for the for for building trust, let's say. Um, I want to talk for a quick sec. I think we have all of our speakers cleared out. So I just want to talk a quick sec about some of the things we got coming down the pipes. We have uh, this week. We have a conversation with the authors of, with the editors and two of the contributors to a new book on the Jason Kenney experience and the transition to Danielle Smith uh, called Anger and Angst. Um, it's, uh, it's a really good conversation, and I think it informs a lot of the current climate. And that's going to be, we're going to be dropping that tomorrow for our Patreon supporters. Everybody else, it's going to be going live Wednesday night. We've got a couple interviews coming up that I'm very excited for. I don't want to I don't want to say it yet because it hasn't been recorded yet. But I'm very very excited. It's uh it's one of those ones where where we were like, "Hey, would you be willing to have a conversation?" and the person said yes, and we were like, "Really?" So, we're super excited to uh we'll probably reveal that I would guess Tuesday or Wednesday to to let people know what to look out for. But uh yeah. Uh, I think that's we're, we're clocking past the two hour mark. So at this point, it's time for the shameless plug. Uh, if you enjoy the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown and you have the ability to do so, we would love nothing more than if you signed up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash The Breakdown AB, where for the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a, uh, perhaps a Rice Krispie Square, it would be a higher 
and Rice Krispie Square at the $5 mark, or you're getting screwed on your Rice Krispie Square's purchases, uh, you can help us continue to produce the kind of content that we're trying to produce here. Obviously, given some of the subject matter that we're talking about tonight, we appreciate incredibly the fact that there's a not insignificant number of folks who are from disenfranchised uh, communities who have less fiscal means at their dispo exposure Ugh. disposal time for another drink of water i think um so if you can't that's totally cool if you can that's wonderful you get two things out of it you get uh, access to our interview episodes early we're never going to pay well any all of our content. We don't believe in doing that. Everything that we produce is eventually publicly available. But uh, you get early access. That feels good. Plus, you have the opportunity to tweet at your least favorite politician that we are maybe giving the, putting the gears to. Hey, I just supported the breakdown. I'm a month, monthly sponsor of the breakdown. Uh, so there. Drives them crazy, we're told. So uh, you can do all of that at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. Obviously, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who does support us through uh, the Patreon page. Really, really appreciate it. Big thank you to everybody in the, the chat tonight. It was a very, very busy place. And I just want to say, yes, on occasion, I do smirk. I have, I have internal dialogue. I also have another screen off to the side over here, and I get little messages from the moderators and the, the folks who help to keep the really horrifying stuff out of the the Twitter spaces. So sometimes there's a little bit of a, a sidebar going on and I forget that I'm also on camera. So if I'm smirking, it's almost never at the person who's speaking. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I, I do. I do smirk from, from time to time. Um, thank you for everybody in the chat. Thank you for everybody who came in with uh, the Twitter spaces tonight. We're going to be back with another live show next Sunday love to uh, it seems like we do shows on sunday and then on monday danielle smith does a press conference or two and the whole world lights on fire and we're trying to keep up with our content uh for a, a very long period of time so i'm sure we'll be busy until the end of may but if you have some thoughts We'll see you here next Sunday. In the meantime, in between time, the call to action, because that's a good thing to do. We are heading into an election, and there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, lies that are out there. So, you know, I really respect the fact that we had Mr. Nothing on, and he he said, you know what, I think this is what the number is. I could be right. I could be wrong. Somebody please fact check me. We got the fact checking done. We got the accurate information out there. That's what we try to do. Um, it's okay to have those conversations with people. And in fact, the, the call to action is find one person this week, have a conversation about the political climate in Alberta, because we got to get more people engaged. We got to have more conversations. Make sure that you're you're taking care of yourselves. And in the meantime, and in between time, as always, we'll I mean, we'll see you next Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday. We're dropping that interview episode. And uh, until then, keep the conversation going. Thank mm -hmm. you.